I'm Alex Shadid, and this is the Policy Options Podcast. Well, I want to take you back to what Canadians asked us to do. They said, you know, improve my situation, the situation of my family, and make investments to grow the economy. So in this budget, we are improving the situation of the middle class. We've reduced taxes on people. We've introduced the Canada Child Benefit, which will improve their situation. In both those efforts, we are improving the lives of the middle class. We're also putting money back into the economy with people who will actually spend that money. Well, welcome to a special edition of the Policy Options Podcast. The RPP team is here in Ottawa at the Budget Lockup. I'm joined here by Jennifer Ditchburn. Editor-in-Chief of Policy Options. Uh, Stephen Tapp. Hello. And David Dopicald. Hello. So... The main topic of the budget today was the middle class. What measures did you find the most interesting and most important in strengthening the middle class, Stephen? So, I, yeah, I would say the Canada Child Benefit and the way that they're restructuring the, the individual transfers that they're giving to families with children was probably one of the biggest issues. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big item. I think Jen had it, it's about $5 billion a year, a change relative to the previous program. Uh, they're increasing the size of those transfers and they're making them more, more targeted towards middle and lower income families. Well, definitely that's the marquee part of of this entire budget document and um, I'm kind of you know what strikes me about this whole um, budget is that there's an awful lot of uh, social policy and I think that you know talking here at the lockup we're not supposed to name names of Mm -hmm. course but there's you know a lot of people from Prime Minister's office floating around and finance officials and I think that's the part that they're definitely quite fixated on is that um, child benefit and um, I think trying to reduce income inequality which is something that the the IRPP uh, our organization just put out a study on that so that's um, very very interesting but also I, I would point out that um, the funding is directed at Indigenous Canadians is, mm-hmm. is a huge uh, story in this budget. So $8.4 billion, um, that's a significant amount. It's sort of restoring and then some the funding that Paul Martin's government committed in, in the Kelowna Accord, which the Harper government subsequently shelved. And so there's a significant mo- money, billions in fact, for th- stuff like ensuring clean water on reserves. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, those two um, spending elements are, are, I would say, the two that really jump out at me in the budget. David? Oui, mais de mon côté, moi, c'est aussi les allocations pour enfants. C'est vraiment ça qui a été... On a beaucoup parlé, en fait, des, des réductions d'impôts à la classe moyenne, comme quoi c'était le, un petit peu le, la promesse centrale des libéraux. Mais finalement, quand on regarde les chiffres, on se rend compte que les, les, les nouvelles dépenses pour l'allocation pour enfants sont quatre fois plus élevées que ce que coûtent les baisses d'impôts. Donc, quand même, si on met les choses en proportion, c'est la plus grosse mesure. Puis aussi, c'est environ 5 milliards de nouvelles dépenses cette année, mais 5 milliards d'un déficit de 30 milliards. C'est quand même une grande proportion. Donc, euh, voilà. Stephen, you wrote about in your blog yesterday issues of transparency. You were worried less about the size of the deficit and more whether or not the Liberals would outline ways that they'd be implementing the, uh, the, their policies that they're outlining in the, in the budget. Uh, were you satisfied with what you found today? I think it's kind of a good news, bad news story. So initially in the first chapters, I was looking towards what they were doing on the economy, how they were explaining the adjustments that they were making. And there's some new things in there that the Department of Finance is showing that they weren't showing before. So their justifications for why is this adjustment imprudence of $40 billion a year to nominal GDP, which which maps in about $6 billion less than the deficit. Why are they doing that? Well, there's a story behind that. Um, there's some more details on what might happen to the budget balance if, if the GDP growth 
turns out to be better or worse than I expect. So I think when I saw those parts, I was like, yeah, this is great. Things are getting better in terms of transparency and analysis. Um, when I got towards the back of the document and looking at the fiscal chapter itself, I was left wanting in some areas in terms of explanation. So for example, and there's this awkward thing about the surplus. And for the first 10 months of the fiscal year, we have a $4.3 billion surplus so far, and they're showing a, a relatively sizable deficit uh, for the year and then bigger deficits going forward. Now, a lot of those are due to uh, new measures that they're implementing. Uh, but there's, I think people have kind of routinely that I've been talking to say, there's a lot of fudge in those numbers. So there's a lot of prudence there. There's about $6 billion a year that they're expecting. Um, I think in this environment, that might be a reasonable thing to do, given that there's downside risks. But um, they're kind of setting themselves up to do better than they expect, I think, if the economy you know does well or accelerates. Um, so I, I think I think there's some good things in terms of it's more transparent in terms of some of the analysis that finance puts out. But there wasn't a long-term projection of, of you know what's going to happen over the long term. So if they wanted to make the argument that this is a sustainable budget, they, they missed the mark there. Um, and there's some, some big question marks in terms of if the economy is doing so badly, then why, why are revenues not falling? So I think there's some questions that, that could be asked. And I think some things are better and some things, some things are just, so not, at least for me, not entirely clear. If you, so I, I'm just curious about that. So if you were going to draft a budget, if you were in that group of people that gets that interesting job, how would you have made it more transparent? Well, I think the most obvious thing, so I, w I would have included, as I say, the internal analysis that we know the Department of Finance does and we know that places like the Parliamentary Budget Office do, is you look out over several decades and you, you know the spending pressures associated with demographics and you have a good sense of how the economy is going to grow and you, and you try to do the math there and say, is this a sustainable fiscal situation? And people have done that analysis before, uh, which showed that for the total government, we were kind of doing all right. The problem is that there's a distribution between the federal government is fine and the provinces are not fine. And so the issue is kind of how do you reallocate spending pressures uh, between the federation. Um, but that was all done before the oil price shock. And so what I'd really like to know is, is the fiscal situation still, still sustainable now, uh, given the shock that we've had to nominal GDP in Canada, given the long-term nature of you know, oil prices could be lower for longer. Um, so is, you know, is, is the economy still, or is the fiscal position still sustainable? Um, and is the federal government funding the new measures over the longer term that they've, that they've brought in? Right, so, David, was there anything in particular that really jumped out at you uh, from the budget? Oui, en fait, à, à part le, le montant qui est octroyé aux allocations pour enfants, ce qui, met, ce qui est intéressant, c'est de voir l'espèce de, de transfert de fonds qui a été fait. Donc, euh, oui, la, ça représente 10 milliards de dollars l'allocation pour enfants, mais il y a beaucoup de crédits d'impôts qui ont été retirés. Donc, le crédit d'impôt pour la condition physique des enfants, pour les activités culturelles, pour les études postsecondaires, puis les manuels. Donc, ça, c'est... Et surtout, c'est la fin du fractionnement du revenu. Puis seulement ça, en fait, d'abolir le fractionnement du revenu, ça représente des économies, on pourrait dire, de 4,3 milliards. Donc, c'est assez euh, intéressant à voir, justement, que ça, ça a été aboli, mais qu'en même temps, on a 10 milliards de nouvelles dépenses pour l'allocation pour enfants. Puis, d'un point de vue structurel, euh, c'est l'idée qu'on on va... Le, le ciblage qu'on fait pour les politiques sociales est beaucoup moins intense. Euh, soudainement, avant, les, bon, un crédit d'impôt pour les activités culturelles, nécessairement, il faut que la famille euh, bon, ait les moyens de payer les activités culturelles pour avoir droit au crédit d'impôt. Donc, c'est très ciblé, tandis que maintenant, avec la nouvelle allocation familiale, ben, c'est pour tout le monde, en dessous d'un certain revenu, vont recevoir un montant. Donc, euh, il y a moins de conditionnalité. Puis surtout, on, on élargit la base euh, de, de familles canadiennes qu'on rejoint. Donc, euh, la structure est complètement changé. Et elle, moi, je vois qu'il y a un élément politique, de politique là-dedans aussi, parce qu'avant, ils voulaient attirer les 
petits uh, pockets of, of voters, par exemple. Um, so they, some of these um, tax measures brought in by the Conservatives were designed to attract certain portions of the electorate. And that's why you got things like the Carpenters the tax credit and, um, and the child's fitness credit and the child's uh, arts credit, which, by the way, I just did my taxes and I got money back for those things. Mm-hmm. And if you consider I'm, uh, I'm in a family that's doing fairly well, You can see that to make the argument that perhaps families like mine shouldn't really be getting all these nice cushy tax credits that you can redirect them at les plus démunis de la société. So that, I mean, I think one of the things that really strikes me about this is that it's um, a real uh, veering away from the conservative style of, of budget. And even, it's not even similar to the Chrétien-Martin budgets, which if you'll remember in, during the Chrétien years, there was a big stretch of austerity, right? Um, so, th- you know, and the other thing that strikes me that is that they're bringing back a lot of things that the Harper government got rid of. So it's kind of, it's kind of like um, back to the future. Uh, so, I'll, like, I'll just name a few of them. There's the Experimental Lakes um, area in north, uh, western Ontario, the Court Challenges Program. They're um, restoring funding for research and analysis at Status of Women Canada, which is one of the things that the, the Conservatives got rid of. Um, you know, you got this Kitsilano um, Coast Guard. You're giving more money to this, back money to the CBC. Uh, you're promising to bargain in good faith with the public service and doing away with the sick leave changes. Um, so, you know, there's there's definitely a uh, very different approach, not just in the writing of the budget, but just in, in what they pri- they're prioritizing. I mean, the fact that there's a chapter on Indigenous people, a chapter on the environment, when two years ago they didn't even mention the environment once in the speech, or three years ago, I think, um, you know, you're seeing quite a different style, even a departure from previous Liberal governments. Do you think that it's possible that the Liberals tried going a little bit too far with this? I mean, they obviously were offering a lot, and this was their first budget, trying to show that there's a change of pace. But do you think that could have been spread over the next few budgets, or was this really a statement budget? En fait, moi, je pourrais dire que je suis assez surpris quand même de voir un petit peu le respect que les libéraux ont pour leur plateforme électorale. En fait, moi, j'étais de ceux qui croyaient qu'il y aurait des choix à faire, puis qu'il n'y aurait pas de l'avant avec tout ce qu'ils voulaient faire. Donc là, on était de l'avant avec la bonification du supplément de revenus garantis, les allocations pour enfants, les baisses d'impôts, il y a quand même les infrastructures. Donc, ça fait quand même un déficit qui est très grand. Donc, moi, je croyais qu'à un certain point, il y aurait des choix à faire, mais finalement, j'ai l'impression qu'ils ont dit on avait ça comme plan, euh, on sait avec ça qu'on veut stimuler l'économie, c'est comme ça qu'on veut aider. Donc, je trouve qu'ils ont été quand même assez fidèles à leurs engagements, puis je suis le premier surpris d'ailleurs. Do you think that they try playing politics with any one of their uh, policy implementations? Are there any ones that you know? Oh, like? I got well, I got one for you there. So I think it's interesting. If I was looking at the fiscal targets, for example. So what's what are the overarching goals that the government wants to stick to? And people have said that they've been stepping down from the election platform and one by one kind of knocking those away. So what they committed to in this budget is to keep the debt-to-GDP ratio from going up over the mandate, but they want it to kind of come down a little bit over the next five years. Um, And at the same time, further to Jen's point of undoing the the Harper legacy, they're going to be repealing the Balanced Budget Act. At the same time, if you go back one page, you see that there's a commitment to balance the budget. So if you want to balance the budget, then why are you getting rid of a law that tells you to balance the budget? So I think there's certainly political aspects of they would like to undo a lot of things that Harper's government had done. The census is another thing that they've already done on that. The old age security eligibility, the age had been was was supposed to go up to 67. They've they've brought that back down to 65. 
Um, so that yeah, there's there's certain aspects where this is a budget, so of course it's it's first and foremost a political document, and I think that that's what they did in certain areas. You know, and we we're talking a lot about the conservatives, but I mean, this is I think going to be a challenge for the NDP as well, because it's a very progressive uh, budget. I mean, it's very liberal. And, and I, I mean that in a small L liberal way mm-hmm. <laughs> and a big L liberal way. But so I'm, I'm going to be interested when we finally break free of the of the lockup to find out what the NDP is going to pinpoint to criticize because. Well, what did they say? They, they can't say it's that they're not doing enough to stimulate the economy. They're not spending enough because the, the NDP platform had stuck to this balanced budget mantra. So I think I think they've kind of painted themselves in a bit of a corner. And, and also the Liberals have taken some of those measures on side from the NDP and, and are doing them themselves. So I don't know that, uh, I mean, the Conservatives, I think, rightly have a case that they could argue that they left the government with a surplus. If you look at the way that the numbers are coming in, and if, if they had won the election on a mandate to balance the books, I think that they very well could have done that this year. Um, so, so they're offering, as opposition parties, something that's different. I don't know what the NDP will really be able to offer. And so now the, the, the uh, Conservatives are obviously going to jump on the deficit number. because they're So we're going from a surplus of $4.3 billion to a uh, deficit of in the first year? It, well, it's, it's, peaking, it's peaking at 29.4, so it rounds a little bit below 30, but the deficit, the swing, the change in deficit is, is somewhere around $30 billion from, from this fiscal year going to next fiscal year. So we're going from surplus to huge deficit. Well, it's um, not huge. It's, it's, it's okay, there. Yeah, it's okay, so, but I think but it's easy to overplay it. As, as a share of the economy, it's maybe 1.4%. Okay, so I was going to ask you about that. It has changed. That. Things have changed. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't paint it as fiscally irresponsible, given the, given the current context of the economy globally and in Canada. I think it makes sense to have a stance for the fiscal policy when, on the other hand, Stephen Polas and, and the Bank Canada monetary policy, there's not much more they can do. So, uh, but you you were pointing out in um, in something you wrote uh, yesterday that it's important to look at the composite and to drill down and what what what's inside it. And so I wonder, well, what now? What have you discovered about what the what's what the deficit is made up of? So what happened to the numbers? So yeah, the deficit is bigger, and they managed to come in under thirty billion dollars, which they could become the focal point in policy discussions. They had an update before. And it was around 18. People out of the platform and said, "Oh, is it going to be over under 30?" So they managed to come in under that bar. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of prudence in there. So they've assumed that nominal GDP will be worse, and that's translated into lower revenues uh, under the assumption. Um, so the platform, in terms of size of new measures, relative to that, I think I think they more or less have done what they said that they were going to do. Um, when they did their own analysis in terms of what the impact would be in the economy. They think it's going to add about half a percentage point to growth in this year and next year. So that's not huge. It's not nothing. At the same time, too, when, when growth is around one and a half or two percent, that's certainly noticeable. So I have a question for Alex. Yes. <laughs> um, now, I've been to a lot of lockups, but I'm curious, since it's your first budget lockup, what, do you, what did you think? I thought it was really cool. It was definitely long. <laughs> the food was so-so. <laughs> but other than that, uh, I really had an amazing time. It was amazing to see so many amazing Canadian journalists around here, hearing so many crazy ideas about the economy, and uh, definitely seeing Minister Morneau. That was really, really cool to see. But uh, I had a great time, and yeah. Yourself, David? In fact, it's been an experience je dirais que j'en ai beaucoup appris. Je suis arrivé ici, je savais vraiment pas à quoi m'attendre. J'avais aucune idée, en fait. Je savais même pas à quoi allait ressembler le document du budget. Puis, euh, mais finalement, j'étais très content d'être avec des gens expérimentés comme Steven et puis Jen. Ça a été vraiment euh, bénéfique pour moi, les discussions à travers ça. 
Puis, euh, ce qui me marque le plus, c'est la, la quantité de personnes que ça mobilise pour faire un budget. Tout le ministère des Finances, les personnes qui étaient là pour répondre à nos questions, tous les journalistes, tous les professeurs, les experts, les citoyens qui viennent ensuite. Euh, c'est euh, énorme. Puis surtout, je crois qu'on a eu droit à un, un changement de paradigme politique au Canada aujourd'hui. Puis je pense qu'on est privilégié d'avoir vu ça en, en direct. Hey, well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, as always, uh, send your suggestions for authors and topics you'd like to have featured on the podcast by either tweeting at us at IRPP with your suggestion or posting on our Facebook page. Until next time, I'm Alex Shadid. Thanks for tuning in.